Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, well, as Ben said, we're looking at Luke 18, 18 through to 30 today. So please do find that in your Bible. My name is uh, Brogan. I'm the curate here at St. Thomas's. I have the privilege of serving in, in that way. Um, and we're looking at this theme this morning of unhindered generosity. So let's read Luke 18, 18 through to 30. A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with God, man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we have all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every so often we read one of these passages in church uh, and we read it and we think, oh my goodness, this is hard. And, and in fact, it seems unreasonable. Does this passage really say I have to give everything away when I encounter Jesus? Does this passage seriously seem to imply that this morning, if you do not, if you leave this building with anything remaining in your bank account, you have been unfaithful in your discipleship to the Lord Jesus? That's the, that's, that's the plain meaning of this passage on, on one level. And if you're like me, then you'll read it and you'll think, oh my goodness me, what am I going to do? I, I've, I've got bills to pay. I've got, I've got things I've got to do. I've got to provide food for my family. I, how, how would this even work? And an anxiety starts to rise up in you. And your mind starts to go, or in my mind starts to go, okay, it can't mean that. It can't mean that. It must mean something else. And then you get the, another voice, be it the Holy Spirit or another voice, saying, but are you just trying to dodge the plain meaning of this passage? And we end up being at this point where you say, Lord, I don't want to go around this passage, but I also don't want to go through it. Does this passage really say I've got to give all my money away this morning? And that's the question that we're going to look at. You'll be pleased to know. Um, this is, as Ben said, the second uh, sermon in our three-part generosity ser series. Last week, Ben looked at gracious generosity, how we receive, respond to, and then generosity ripples out from us all in response to God's generous grace towards us. And we looked at the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And we ended with that challenge to be generous, not to earn our salvation, but in response to the salvation we've received in Jesus Christ. So that's where we've been. But where we're going today, as I said, uh, is that question that still remains. Is it all our money 
right here, right now? And if the answer to that question is no, do we end up like the rich young ruler who is sad and excluded from the kingdom of God? That's the question we're exploring. Well, let's look at this passage together. Uh, a rich ruler comes up to Jesus. Now, this story is, rec- is uh, recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And in Matthew, we learn that he is a young man. So we're just going to assume that he is, he's a young man. And it would seem that this is exactly the kind of person that Jesus would want because he'd make a good disciple. Let's look at, at, at the reasons why. Firstly, he's teachable and he's honouring. He comes up and he says, good teacher. He honours Jesus. And furthermore, he's teachable. He says, look, I I need something. I need to know something, Jesus. I I haven't got it all together. I need your help. Secondly, he's knowledgeable. He knows his Bible. When he says, all these commandments I've kept since I was a boy, he's referring to the Jewish law that a father was responsible for a boy's moral conduct until he was 13, at which point a a young man then became responsible. So when he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy, he's saying, look, I... I know my Bible, all right? I know the tradition. Thirdly, he's good. He's kept the commandments in regards to sexual purity and self-control and truthfulness and honour. Let's let's take him at his word and say he's actually kept these commandments. And then fourthly, the fourth reason Jesus should want him as a disciple is this. Um, He is wealthy and he's got power and he's got influence. If you're trying to build a power base for yourself, he is a guy that you want on board. And so the conclusion is then, Jesus should be lucky to have this guy, right? In fact, he should probably charm him, bring him in, bring him into the close circle. He's one of the useful ones. But Jesus doesn't do that. And in the Gospel of Mark, we get the clearest indication why. In Mark, it says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved him enough to say the hard Thing. Jesus cared more about his spiritual health than his usefulness in the kingdom of God. Hear this today. Jesus cares more about you than your stuff. Jesus isn't so much bothered about your wallet as your heart. And when he has your heart, as we saw with Ben last week, everything else follows. And it's all because of his great love for you. Back to this man, Jesus says, uh, look, you and I both know that you're, you're lacking something. Sell everything, give it away, and then come and join this, this radical community of other people who have, who have done the same, who have left everything. And this man is sad. And in Matthew and Mark, it adds that he's not only sad, but at this point he leaves. Why does Jesus let this ideal disciple Leave. What is it that stops this man giving everything? That's our question for today. Uh, Unhindered generosity, that's our topic. What holds this man, and perhaps by extension us, back? Well, three suggestions today. The first is that wealth was his identity. The second is that wealth was his security. And the third is that wealth was his purpose. Firstly, then wealth is his identity. Look at verse 24 through to 26 with me, this little middle discourse, if you like. Jesus looks at him and says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then uh, Peter says, uh, look, uh, sorry, those who hear him say, who then can be saved? 
Now, if we are reading this passage as we are in a sort of a modern, liberal, left-leaning uh, city of Newcastle, we will probably say, yep, <laughs> I agree with that. Wealth kind of on a subconscious level tends to equal immorality to us. If someone is very wealthy, they're probably wealthy at someone else's expense. That's kind of how we've arrived at this point in our social, cultural, political discourse. But in the first century, wealth meant the opposite. Wealth didn't mean immorality, it went, meant morality. Wealth meant that you had been good and God had blessed you. So his question then, who then can be saved, is flipped on its head. He's saying, look, if this guy who's clearly moral and his wealth proves that can't be saved, then who can be saved? And then that gives an insight into what Jesus is asking this man to leave behind. He's not just asking him to leave his money behind. He's asking him to leave his proof of a good life behind. He's asking him to leave his identity behind. And in today's society, money functions in much the same way. Instead of uh, proving your moral goodness, however, it proves what we value most, which is intelligence and hard work and self-discipline and all the other things. Wealth for this man and for us perhaps proves an identity. And giving it up and leaving it behind to follow Jesus would mean also leaving behind this self-built, self-proved, self-made identity. Perhaps that was what was stopping him. Wealth was his identity. Secondly, wealth is his security. Now look at the text, uh, where the, the text is positioned. So the gospel writers didn't just write down everything as it happened, um, like some sort of AI recording of Jesus' life. They collected Jesus' verbatim stories, the actual words that Jesus spoke, and then they arranged them in a pattern that also fitted with and made sense of his message. And look where Luke has put this story. What's happened just before it? Well, Jesus has taken little children into his arms and he said, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Verses 15 through to 17. You see, Luke is deliberately contrasting these two people coming to Jesus. The first is little children who are completely dependent on their father for provision. And the second is this man who's completely dependent on himself, completely dependent on his wealth. Perhaps that is what is holding this man back. Wealth is his security. Thirdly, perhaps wealth is his purpose. Look at verse 28 with me. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And that's what we've just learned that this man is invited to in verse 22, when Jesus says, come, follow me. To follow Christ would mean for this man to turn away from the purpose of making money and instead make disciples. But just imagine him. Perhaps he's built up a business empire with projects and, uh, and products and networks. Following Christ and leaving all of that would mean to abandon the only thing that he knows that gives him a sense of purpose. And so he's got this choice to make. Make money or make disciples. Pursue that thing that's always given you a sense of purpose or turn and find your purpose in serving, caring, blessing, 
seeing others come to know the mercy and the love of God. Perhaps it's just too hard. So which one is it? Is it wealth that is his identity, his security or his purpose? Well, it's probably a combination of, of all of them. But here's the thing, we don't need to know exactly why because whatever the symptom, the problem is the same. And Jesus diagnoses this problem. In the opening dialogue, he says this, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Remember that. And then he moves on to the commandments, except he does something which is completely bizarre. He misses out the first one. He mentions all the others, but he misses out the first one. And what is the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. You should have no other gods before me. You see, this man might have been careful to stay away from adultery and murder and theft and lying and dishonour, but he had missed the first and the most basic commandment. He was worshipping another God. And this God was giving him his identity, was giving him his security and was giving him his purpose. Do you see the problem here? That the root of the issue is laid bare. The problem isn't primarily what wealth had become in this man's life. It was primarily what wealth had started out as in this man's life. The problem was that money had become this man's God. The problem for this man was not so much what he spent. It was whom he worshipped. And this is the power of giving. This is the power of generosity, is that it, it places money under God for us. If you give generously, then it places the, the God that you once had under the God you now worship. This is why giving is a central part of Jesus' teaching, because as Ben said last week, it's not about the money, it's about the heart. It's about our loves being ordered in the right way. So is this a binding command then, as we start looking at, um, for all Christians, give away all of their money. Can you leave this church now with money in your bank account with any integrity? Three reasons why I want to suggest the answer is no. Uh, the first is that uh, there is no other scripture, to the best of my knowledge, which, um, which takes this interpretation, that every single Christian needs to empty all of their money the moment that this passage is, is read. And furthermore, this is not how the church has historically interpreted this passage. Um, and those two things should guide us. What else does the whole counsel of God say? And how has the church historically interpreted this passage? So that's the basic reason. The second reason, however, is this, and it gets more at the heart. It is possible to give all of your money away right now, today, and still miss the point of this passage. It is possible to give all your money away and still not receive eternal life. Because if you give all of your money right now in the hope that it would secure you God's favour and make you right with him, you've missed the point of this passage. You are trusting wealth for your salvation. You're trying to buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. What's happened? Wealth has become your God. Instead of looking to Jesus's mercy, instead of looking to Jesus's grace, instead of looking to Jesus's forgiveness, you're saying, look, God, all of it's on the table. Let me in. That's the second reason. And the third is this, um, is that if you give everything in one go, then there's the temptation there to shortcut discipleship. Hear me on this. 
Jesus doesn't want to be God over your money for the next 30 minutes or the next 40 minutes or even the next 60 minutes. Jesus wants to be God over your money for the next 30 years or 40 years or 60 years. It's not about a one-off. In fact, the whole purpose of money is that we think about how we're using it to serve the kingdom of God on a minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year basis, not just to get it out and get rid of it quickly policy. Before we end, Jesus' radical prescription for this man is is therefore to give all away his money because of the depth of the problem that this man has. No doctor... Uh, would recommend amputation for a grazed ankle. But for a gangrenous foot that will result in sepsis, a good surgeon will be willing to operate. And it's much the same for this man. Jesus' love for him means that he recommends a drastic course of, of action. And Jesus' love for him is not just for his eternal life, but for his life right now. Because think about this poor man. If money is his identity, then that means that he is one wrong investment away from losing his whole sense of self. If money is his security, he's one theft away from having his legs swept from under him. If money is his purpose, then he wakes up every single day rolling the dice on whether he can find meaning or not tomorrow. The very thing that this man is worshipping is killing him. But the Lord Jesus has come to set him free. How might this be affecting us? Well, I just want to think briefly about wealth as security. You know, if wealth is your security, money will always be associated with fear. Not having enough, or of it being stolen, or having to spend when you weren't prepared for it, or the fear of, of having to spend that 10p more on a menu, on, <laughs> a menu item, and that you really want the 10p war, but it's 10p more. Fear of other people spending money on you. And the flip side may be that you then splurge when money is there. And if wealth is your security, then giving will always be hard. Even if the actual amount makes no tangible difference. Because it's not just parting with a pound, it's parting with your protection. And some of us here today, one of the things the Lord wants to do with us this morning is to deal with this, how we're approaching money as security. Not not out of God's sort of anger or, or displeasure with us, but out of Jesus' love for us and his desire for our freedom. Perhaps you grew up in a home where money was, was scarce or you felt like asking things was a big cost to your parents or you, maybe you grew up with plenty, but you saw the emotional cost that it took to earn it. And it may be that that way of seeing money still affects how you see money today. Perhaps even the sight of a pledge form when you walk into church fills you with fear. Because it may be that this morning, the Lord has some freedom that he wants you to walk in around money. Because the type of relationship that God wants us to have with money is one where we can spend it for his kingdom purposes or have it spent on us for his kingdom purposes without fear and without guilt. His desire for us is that money would not be the deciding factor on what we say yes or no to, but rather we'd pursue in faith what we know he's calling us to. 
Of course, there is the practical reality that we have to live within our, our means. This is good and it pleases God. But I just want to say this, there is a world of difference between living um, in freedom within your means and living in fear within your means. You may have exactly the same budget, but one will feel like life and the other will feel like death. I'm not underplaying for a moment the reality of the financial pressures that we find ourselves in. In fact, for you, you, you may feel and know today that you have relatively little that you have to steward very carefully. And if that is so, then I want to say it is even more important to know the Lord's freedom this morning. Freedom from fear and a trust in the promises of Hebrews 13, which says like this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because the Lord has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so for us, as we approach giving this morning, let's deal with the reality of pledging our our money, our time, our effort, our energy to build God's kingdom. But let's also deal with the inner reality of saying, Lord, how is it that I'm approaching money? And where is it that you long to bring freedom and wholeness and mercy for the sake of your goodness? because I trust in the promise, never will you leave me, never will you forsake me. Amen.